I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. It is a big show today. All hosts always say that, but I feel like this is a big one. And uh, we begin with Joe Biden's latest schemes to spend your money on overseas nonsense. He snapped at a reporter. He pandered to illegal aliens. But what do we do about it? Do we impeach? Maybe, probably, but over what? That's the big question. We also track Fox's continued implosion. China's getting away with human rights abuses. Disney's humiliating itself again. All that and more. In the beginning of the show, we have a really interesting guest today. It is Alina Haba, a attorney who represents Donald Trump in a wide variety of cases. And so we cover the indictment. We cover other suits against Trump. And I ask her if the president is doing all he can to help himself. Uh, you're really going to want to hear her responses. And I would recommend, because she's very careful the way she words it, that you pay close attention because I was still trying to read between the lines as I was getting the answers. It's interesting stuff. You'll like it. Let's get into it. on yesterday's show. This is pretty rare, but I will do this. I will go backwards, like when the show moves forward. Today, we'll move backwards slightly because the more I thought about this clip, the more I loved it. This is Biden uh, speaking at the League of Conservation Voters dinner. Cut one, please, Mr. Zach. Well, we're going to win and we're going to help. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. We have plans to build in, 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 in Angola, one of the largest solar plants in the world. I can go on, but I'm not. I'm going off script. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, so we are going to build, first of all, a train across the Indian Ocean. So that's what you guys are going to be doing with all of your hard-earned taxpayer dollars that Joe Biden intends to spend overseas. One of the things he's going to be doing is he's going to be uh, he's going to be building a train across the Indian Ocean. Okay, so just know that that's what's going on. So it wasn't enough that we're paying the pensions of the Ukrainians. Remember, we're doing that. Right. It's, that was one of the reasons why we need to cut such a large check to Ukraine is that we need to make sure they can pay their pensioners. But then once we're well, not even when we're done with that, simultaneously, we're going to pay for a train across the Indian Ocean. And what was that last part? Was that something about building a, a solar plant in in Angola? Play it one more time, Zach. I want to make sure I heard that exactly right. Well, we're going to win and we're going to help. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. We have plans to build in, 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 in Angola, one of the largest solar plants in the world. I can go on, but I'm not. I'm going off script. I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, he loves to say that. But uh, one of the biggest solar plants, not in the United States, but rather in the Central African nation of Angola. Now, why is Angola getting a solar plant? Uh, he won't explain. He just throws it out there. And I don't think it's totally just him being an old wacky guy while he's doing that. I think that there's, there's, some, uh, um, there's some method to the madness. But it's not just because there's a bunch of sun in the Central African nation. Um, I think actually the goal is, is that he's trying to compete with China because it's a Belt and Road thing. Because uh, Angola is a Belt and Road nation. So I wonder if this is where the world is going to go in terms of we're not really going to push back on China too much. But what we might do is we might have to compete with Belt and Road by spending a bunch of your money, you the taxpaying citizens, um, because we can't really hold China accountable. We're just going to have to outspend in places like Angola, which is maybe not the worst strategy in the world. But if we're going to do that, then we're doing it specifically because the we we have not we don't have any other pushback against China on the world stage. And second of all, because we don't care about how much of your money we spend. So it'd be nice if we had a surplus going, if we had a surplus going, then we could potentially, we could spend some of that surplus on things like that. Um, and then what are we doing? We're going to be buying uh, solar panels. Now who's getting monopoly, a literal monopoly on solar panels in the world? Drum roll, please. The survey says. We all know what the answer is. China. China does. So we're basically going to compete with China by buying a bunch of solar panels from China. And we're not going to put them here. We're going to put them in Angola. 
And this guy's jacked up about it. Um, I will say Biden's foreign policy is the worst thing he does. And that's, I think, pretty clear. Uh, Blinken getting all the swirlies from China. Um, His Ukraine policy, which was absolutely helped precipitate the war. I'll break that down at a further date. The show never really walked everyone through that one. It's complicated, but it's true. And then you've got the, uh, uh, of course, the Afghanistan debacle, which is entirely Biden's fault. And then we go on from there. He has no Central American or South American policy other than leave our border open. And it seems like he hates Bukele um, in El Salvador, who's the only person who gets anything done. So uh, his foreign policy stinks. We know that. But I will say that the next worst thing in Biden's arsenal is his energy policy, because that's really what has put us on the road to recession. And I think it's put us on the road to uh, getting even more dependent on China and empowering Russia. So that's the takeaway on his energy policy. So we think the best way to do energy is to spend a bunch of money we don't even have on a solar plant in Angola, whatever that means exactly. I assume it's solar farm. So I, I was just struck by that because it's a, I, I just first of all that we're spending any money on, on a plant in Angola anyway blows my mind. Um, that we're going to build a train in the ocean, I guess, the Indian Ocean. That blows my mind too. But the the Angola thing, I just the more I thought about it, I thought this is a Belt and Road thing. This is also we're going to c- compete with China by buying a bunch of solar panels in China. Uh, we're we're very lost. We're very lost. I, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, it's a very exciting time. People who like golf because it's the U.S. Open or National Championship, and we've been golf's been in the news a lot this week. Those of you who have been um, paying attention. Last week, I had a big podcast actually on golf because the Saudi Public Investment Fund is going to be investing deeply in the PGA. They have in the past, but this is going to be much deeper. They're going to really own a part of golf and sort of a sports-washing thing. Uh, very complicated. I had a podcast on it last week if people want to look that up um, on wherever you get your podcast, explaining it. So, but the, the, what we saw is that now the Department of Justice is going to look into this potential merger with this thing called Live Golf, which is a Saudi-backed golf league and the PGA Tour. And there's a legitimate reason to do this because it was, uh, it's clearly building a monopoly. Uh, Live Golf had sued the PGA for being monopolistic, and now they're essentially joining together. The deal's complicated. We don't, it's hard to see exactly what the deal looks like. So it, it makes sense that the DOJ would look into it just because of antitrust monopoly stuff. However, however, I don't think that's why they're looking into it. I think they're looking into it because of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Because we get obsessed with these little things. Because they think the Saudi royal family, I think correctly in this case, the orchestrated or approved the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who wasn't just Washington Post journalist. He was a guy who was very tight with the Bin Ladens, a Muslim Brotherhood member, and not necessarily a good guy. But, you know, he got bone sawed and MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, approved it. So, which shouldn't have happened. That's bad. It's a bad look. It's not good. All that stuff. But for whatever reason, I, I think that's what's going on here, really. And we lose our credibility when the why is not just the what, the why gets out of whack. Now, do I think that theoretically, if a Saudi-backed golf league buys a bunch of the PGA Tour or essentially owns the PGA Tour, that's a good thing? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Do I think it's potentially monopoly? Absolutely, I do. But do I feel like the DOJ should investigate it because... Um, a, a Jamal Khashoggi got murdered five years ago. I, I do not. And one of the reasons why I, I don't think that is because there's journalists murdered in places like Mexico all the time, and we still cut deals with Mexico. So it's the it, China doesn't have a free press at all. So what's the principle here that's at work? And I think that that does matter, believe it or not. So when we're talking about like why why are we doing a solar plant in Angola? 
Um, we don't have the money for it. It's it's to oppose China, maybe. But then why are we opposing China by buying a bunch of stuff from China, participating in sort of a hoax, this green movement where we've got the Paris Accords, where China, which is by far the number one polluter in the world and is also the second biggest the second biggest country by landmass and second biggest country by population and almost number one. I mean, China and India are basically the same. And they're treated like a developing nation. So second biggest economy, second most people, second biggest economy by, or second biggest country by landmass, they're treated like a developing country. Why? Why are they treated like a developing country? Because they're, the world is afraid of China and Xi Jinping, etc., because they know if they tick them off, and there's a chance that China will cut them off. Because China's got, um, they, 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 they play to win. So what do we do? We go over there. We send guys like Tony Blinken, who's been getting swirlies from the Chinese ever since Biden got sworn in. So, um, and what's Blinken going to do over there? He's, he's going to talk about I don't know cybersecurity. I guess that's okay. Why not talk about cybersecurity? So he's over there now. I don't know what he's doing. But he's probably talking about how he's going to buy a bunch of solar panels for Angola. Biden's going to brag about it. So uh, we're, we're a little bit lost here as a nation. And it's mostly the media's fault because the media doesn't talk about things in an intelligent way. The media talks about things in terms of narrative. And when the media gets set on a narrative then it's very hard for them to think it all the way through because it becomes emotional and it becomes trying to satisfy a base of people. Um, I'll give you another example, which is corollary. Is uh, Elon Musk is lashing out at uh, ESG ratings because it was reported, I think it was the Daily Mail caught this first, that one of the social credit score rating systems, the ESG, Environmental Social Governance Rating Systems, now has Philip Morris above Tesla. Um, the same system has it above, um, has Exxon above te- Tesla also, which I've said in the show numerous times. So actually a company that, a cancer stick company, a cigarette company, and you've got a, literal gasoline producing company is above Tesla in environmental social governance score. How could that be possible? A company that is literally makes electric cars, the greenest thing you could do is at a higher value or is it a lower value, sorry, in ESG than companies that produce cigarettes and produce fossil fuels. How could that be? It's because those companies do the woke stuff. They do more of the gender bender tolerance stuff. They do more of the um, woke memoranda going out to staff. They probably do more of the Pride Month stuff. So the, the point isn't, does your company do anything that makes the world a better place? Now, I like, I actually happen to think that People who produce gasoline, particularly based off of crude from America, do make the world a better place. But that's that's my opinion. Uh, obviously, cigarette producers do not make the world particularly better place. I, I, I'm not anti-smoking in the sense that it represents freedom and fun now, but it's highly addictive and gets people cancer and people die from it. So, duh. So, I thought electric cars the best thing you could do. So maybe not because according to these ESG scores, it's not it's not good enough. Why is it not good enough? It's not good enough because the woke people don't like Musk very much. Um, case in point, Twitter has got a twelve out of a, out of a hundred on the S and P five hundred's ESG score rating. Twelve out of a hundred. Shell Oil has forty one out of a hundred. So Tesla's got. 37. Um, 
corporate investors, BlackRock, for example, which is the largest asset manager in the world, a bunch of woke people, a dozen people or so have gone from BlackRock in the White House, go from the White House back into BlackRock, happens all the time. Huge overlap with the World Economic Forum in Davos. They encourage their investment based off of environmental, social justice, so social governance scores. And that explains why you see things like we saw yesterday, those of you spending time on Twitter. Um, you saw probably this story that uh, Matt Walsh, who's a opinion guy, a uh, author, and has a documentary out called What is a Woman? He covers the trans stuff a lot. He claims he obtained internal documents from Fox News showing that Fox is going crazy on Pride Month and encouraging their employees to read about all sorts of perverted sexual activity and read about sterilization hormones and read about a literature clearly designed for young people, um, reading about moms encouraging their trans children, the exact same stuff that you would see from a far-left, woke, radical corporation. Uh, the, the, here's one tweet he sent. The Fox suggested a pride rainbow-filled kids' book with a character who comes out as a unicorn, presumably symbolizing coming out as gay or transgender. It's not even gay. It's gay or transgender. I mean, this is groomer stuff. So I, I mean, I didn't go through every. He did this thing where he releases like twenty-seven tweets, which is just very. It's very hard to immerse yourself in twenty-seven tweets. Musk going to have to figure that one out because um, I know he wants people to break news on his platform. But the bottom line is, the Fox corporate is doing the same exact stuff as everyone else. Why is Fox doing this? Do, do we think uh, Rupert Murdoch gives a crap if you're uh, about this trans? cult that we're dealing with all of us no there's no way he does absolutely no way he's trying to get market share and he knows that no one like a breitbart is going to catch up to fox if part of the standard is you have to do all this woke pandering and that is the standard that is the standard that you have to send around literature on transitioning your children to employees in order to get enough of these social credit score points. Uh, ESG, is, is this is what this is all about. It's one of the most dangerous things happening right now in this country. Uh, asking why we're doing things that is so often the most interesting thing, so often the most interesting thing that's going on. All right, uh, that's the first topic for today, 6695Patriot, if you've got anything on that. Um, uh, Joe snapped when he was asked a question about the big guy. And uh, this, is, this is cool. And we got audio of this. Let's see how it sounds. Let's play cut seven, please. Why did the Ukraine FBI file refer you to the Why is that term? Why question. Yeah, he snapped um, about uh, why do you ask such a dumb question? Um, he has a knack for avoiding the press, and he's done this his whole life. He's really done this since the 70s. He's never liked the press, which is very interesting, and it shows you a lot about the nature of the press because they've always protected him for 50 years. They protected him. Um, and he was at an event where, you know what the event was about? It was ending hidden junk fees. Uh, remember that odd aside he had in the State of the Union? where we have all these crises in this country and Biden's been going after junk fees, which is where companies try to tack on fees that you don't see. I, I'm, I'm actually for it. And this is where Biden's instincts are pretty good. And I give him some begrudging, I begrudgingly give him some credit for this, is how many of you had a bill for something and you have all these fees tacked on? You're like, why? I, I thought it was X and it's really X uh, 0.17. Like, why? Well, that's because people have figured out a way to tack on all these fees. And so Biden's going after that. And then he was asked about um, whether or not he's the big guy. 
um, specifically is asked, why did the Ukraine FBI informant file refer to you as the big guy, President Biden? Why is that term continually applied? It was a New York Post reporter. I don't know which one based on our write-up at Breitbart. So, and he says, well, yes, it's a dumb question. It's a great question. It's a great question. He is the big guy. Everyone knows it. And he's been able to somehow avoid answering it. And he's going to try to wear us down. He's not going to ever answer this question. He'll never explain himself. I mean, he, he and there's no accountability because the media doesn't really care because the media knows he controls the machine. So since Biden controls the machine, it's his machine. He built the machine. He controls the machine. So he's the man for them. So to attack him is to attack themselves. To attack him is to attack themselves. So, so long as that the, that's the case, he's not going to, he's not going to answer questions like that. And it's important. It's important to note that because he's president of the United States and he should be held accountable to the people and the media has a role in that. But the media doesn't see that as their primary role. As all of you know, if you're listening to the show, the media's primary role is to protect the system of which they are a part and Joe Biden is in charge. So, um, Tony Blinken is going to go to, he's in China and we caught something John Hayward for us at Breitbart, which is mind-blowing to me. And this is from the China state-run Global Times that uh, they're going to have a human rights forum. China is going to hold a human rights forum. This is the same thing as Exxon and Shell and Marlboro beating Tesla in ESG scores. It's the exact same phenomenon. China is going to hold a human rights forum. China has a genocide going on right now. Right now, they have a genocide going on of the Uyghur Muslims, organ harvesting, um, the Tibetans and the Uyghurs are getting genocided by the Chinese and at a minimum being put into slavery. There's communist tyranny in this country. And yet, they're going to assemble more than 300 scholars, officials, and experts of the United Nations as well as non-governmental organizations from 100 countries to participate. I never get invited to these things. I'm a semi-public person, right? I got a big newsroom at my disposal. Invite me. I want to go. I want to go. I want to check it out. Do you think it'd be wise for me to go to China in my uh, line of work? I don't think it would anymore. I, I went once. I went once in 2018. Went to Beijing. Went to Hong Kong. Hong Kong was amazing. Amazing. Right before it fell. Very Western, very diverse, terrific food, beautiful, exciting. Now just part of the CCP. Beijing was um, it was it was an asshole country. Got to admit, not great. The Peking Duck was good though. I did get that, but it was a uh, the hotel I was at had a pool. The pool is actually underground because it's so smoggy that you can't you don't want to hang out by the pool. I mean, it's a it, there's a haze in the city that's nonstop. So it, it it you never get past it, and everyone in Hong Kong very excited, very diverse, very vibrant because it was free. Everyone in Beijing very downtrodden, grungy. Everyone just rides these old bicycles everywhere, and that's the centerpiece. That's the centerpiece of the country. I know there's more. There's parts of the country I think that are more, I think exciting. Shanghai, for example, kind of the business hub. It's interesting just to go to a place and just, just hang out, just be there, soak it in for a few days. You learn a fair bit that way. So, um, the United Nations was uh, praising China's uh, achievements on human rights development. They have a slave state with a genocide. I'm just amazed. I'm amazed and it is, I shouldn't be because so long as they're stroking checks, they're going to keep getting favorable treatment. 
And America is not going to lead in this regard. And we've screwed it up so bad. We know the Biden family has gotten a lot of money from China. We know that the American media and the Democrat Party and much of the Republican Party does not really want to talk about China right now because of the pandemic. And the, the more we talk about China, the more we are confronted with the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room is that they unleashed a pandemic likely from the lab in Wuhan, almost certainly at this point. And we in the United States of America, we cut checks to that lab to do the exact type of research that probably led to the pandemic. And everyone missed it. The scientific community, the journalist community, the diplomatic community, the world community, the globalist community, everyone missed it. So no one really wants to talk about it. So in the meantime, China's going to keep doing what they're doing, oppression, slavery, genocide, their debt trap diplomacy, where they go around the world, like what they're doing in Angola, and they get people all hooked on their cheap, easy stuff, like their solar panels, and what are we to do? We're just supposed to move on and talk about trans stuff at home. Congresswoman Lowen Bobert has filed articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. Um, I like that. Her rationale for it, I like less. We know that Joe Biden is not capable of walking upstairs or standing on a stage without being sandbagged, let alone president of the United States of America. So I would love to see our committees actually do their job and bring up articles of impeachment and committee and have hearings and investigations. So you can't commit someone because they have a hard time walking upstairs. Um, I, th- this is going to be, I'll talk more about this a little bit next week. Talk more about this quite a bit next week. I got a big announcement, by the way. I got multiple big announcements next week that I will make. So I will tease that to all of you. Starting on Tuesday. So don't miss Tuesday's show. Um, Monday, I think we're going to do a best of show. Um, Give the the team a day off, I think is the plan. But Tuesday, I'll have some announcements on stuff. Uh, But I, I, I will strongly recommend that we stop doing the thing where we act like Joe can't be president because this is the, it is very reminiscent of when we made fun of Barack Obama for being a community organizer and then he kicked our ass twice. Very similar to what's happening with Biden. Oh, he's in his basement. Oh, he can't walk upstairs. Yeah, well, what's he doing? He's absolutely railroading us nonstop. And he makes journalists feel like idiots for asking him about the fact that he's the big guy. You know what he's doing yesterday? He was celebrating 11 years of DACA, the Dreamers. And how did he celebrate it? He called illegal aliens Americans. Illegal aliens are Americans. He's done this a lot. He acts like some illegal aliens aren't just Americans. They're the best Americans. That the people who got here by enriching the cartels and exploiting our broken system, and then they come here and they occasionally commit crimes, some of the violent crimes, they certainly suppress the wages of the working class that Biden claims he's championing. They make rent go up. They come along with a lot of drugs. Not all of them. Some of them are here for semi-decent reasons, and a lot of them economic I assume a few of them actually want to be here. But it, it, we, we know what's going on with our border. And Biden acts like some of the illegal aliens are the best Americans, period. We know why he's doing that. He's doing it because this is the next generation Democrats. This is his future. These are his voters. It's useful to pay attention to what he's paying attention to because he's not talking to any of us. He doesn't care what any of us are thinking. Those of you who are waking up early on a Hawaiian shirt Friday, you put on your Hawaiian shirt and jeans, you're prepared to call in, show off to producers Bill and Zach that you've got your Hawaiian shirt, any Hawaiian gear on the precipice of summer. If you're listening to this show, you probably are, I'm guessing, not someone who likes that our borders open. Biden doesn't care, never cared. 50 years in Washington, never cared. A couple other quick ones before I open things up to the phones. Um, Fox News is has lost its, uh, it did not have the highest ratings in cable news for the first time in five years. 
And why is that? I believe that it is because Tucker Carlson got fired and the way he got fired. It was just very low blow, disloyal, not classy. And now they've sent a cease and desist letter, by the way, to um, Tucker to make sure that he does not continue to go on the air, to make sure that he stops broadcasting on Twitter, where he's been posting shows 10 minutes at a time. So they want to just pay him to be silenced and to not participate in basically this uh, fraught political moment that we're in and give his commentary. So, uh, and then they lost MSNBC. It's also noteworthy how CNN, or as Nolte called it, CNN, LOL, is still going backwards, even though that they're, they tried to revamp things in a way, and they kind of did these half measures, and they had the benefit of Trump's town hall, and just CNN, just, just toilet ratings, absolute garbage. But MSNBC beat Fox the first time in five years. And I, I just, what, what does Fox think? Why does Fox think people tune in? They tune in because they're supposed to be the voice of people who are disenfranchised by the CNNs and MSNBCs. And then they just abandoned that. They abandoned their whole identity with the way, not just how, that they fired Tucker, but the way they fired him. Just like woke it up one day and just said, I'm done. We can't handle this guy. So you love to see it. You love to see it. Um, here's another one. Disney hired a gay porn star for the Little Mermaid remake. So just in case you had any doubt that Disney is run by groomers at this point. Nolte wrote this one up too. A report says the child abusers and fetishists at Disney hired a gay porn star to portray a merman. I mean, how do they even know it's a man at this point? That is, I'm offended. We have no, no evidence that that's a man. Could be a non-binary person. It's better. Um, Little Mermaid's flopping. Really interesting because it, I mentioned this because it did well in America, sort of. But uh, the, the rest of the world was, it's, it's supposed to be, what was it, Little Mermaid supposed to be? Norway? Norwegian? Something like that. Nordic. But they, they, they cast a BIPOC with dreadlocks and America was fine with that. And then the rest of the world was like, nah, not into it. We liked our ginger-headed princess. Anyway, it amuses me. It amuses me when... Uh, I, I, you guys all know that I don't think necessarily if you go woke, you go broke. Um, but I will, I will say that if you go woke sometimes in the right circumstances, you do go broke, and I do think that's enjoyable. Um, one other one, not good news. Lead story right now, Breitbart.com, as we're recording this live. E. Jean Carroll has sent a second, has a, a second defamation trial against Trump, and it's going to be the exact start of the primary season, so January 2024. This is the relentlessness of the witch hunt. It will never stop. It will never stop. Recall that a jury found Trump liable for sexual sexual battery and defaming her, granted her five million dollars. Um. And now I guess she's uh, she's going to restart the case and try to get more money. I think that's the plan. And they're going to do it right before the primaries. Unbelievable. Longest witch hunt I've ever seen. It's it's exhausting just to keep up with all the details of all the attacks. And that's their point. Because of so many people out there, as I've said time and again, and I will continue to say time and again, are watching what happens to Trump and thinking, wow, I cannot believe he has to do this. And I don't want any part of this. I will never go into public life because who would want to deal with the exhausting nature of the way the left treats their political foes? The 
Nina Haba is on. She is one of President Trump's attorneys, and we she was very generous with her time. We had a lot of time to get to know her a bit and to talk about a lot of the cases she's working on and the president's defenses on it. Uh, I think this interview's got something for everyone. Let's take a listen. Alina, great to meet you. Great to have you on the broadcast. I have a lot to get to with you, but just as a icebreaker, how do you get involved in being in President Trump's legal team? I mean, that is just a just kind of an amazing. Did you think that that was what you were destined for in life, that you were going to be representing Donald Trump in a much higher profile cases? <laughs> no way. I don't think anybody thinks that ever is going to happen, right? I mean, you become an attorney and, and you hope, you know, you build a book of business and I, and I had a, a huge book of business prior and I thought, okay, this is it. And then, you know, one thing leads to another, you, you, you know, I met uh, the president, I'm a member at one of his clubs and I was recommended for, uh, as an attorney and, and, you know, just like anybody else, you interview with the client, you talk to them and you decide if it's a good fit for both of you. And, and it's been great, quite honestly, for many years. Um, so what is the, are there a lot of repercussions for you in your personal life or in your day-to-day or is it mostly positive? Because this is one of the things that's always fascinating to me is that a lot of my friends in this business who get the most crap from people online are also the ones who are the most celebrated, you know, when you we go out to dinner. Like they're the ones who people keep coming over and saying hi. Like it's the, it's it's sort of, uh, it's a it's a two-edged sword here and I'm guessing you feel like you're on the positive side of that, but it just seems like a, just a really interesting lifestyle just in general. That's <laughs> such a good question. I, I haven't been asked that question. Yeah, it, it's um, definitely rewarding. And at the same time, you're right. As much as somebody would praise you, there's somebody there to try and knock you down. Um, but I think that any challenging job, has that right and this is obviously a much more high profile uh position than than most attorneys expect to be in but i think that what i'm doing is very important for the country it's very important to be standing with donald trump who can save this country right now so i don't mind being a punching bag to the people the trolls in their mother's basement (laughs) it's it's okay because what we're doing is so important and i think that the louder you are, the bigger the voice you have, the more you can expect that kind of positive and negative feedback, right? So it's okay. It's part of my my life now. I've gotten used to it. But, um, you know, I feel honored to be in this role. Well, uh, let's talk about the role and what it is, uh, what entails these days. So I, I want to talk about the indictment first, and I want to talk about the Eugene Carroll case. And uh, the, with the latest indictment, I, I think the, the question that my audience knows, and I think we're basically up on most of the details, but, but what, the, the question that I haven't gotten a great answer on, I'm trying to figure out, uh, why didn't President Trump just return the documents and uh, why, and I know there's a rationale, I want to hear the rationale, but why didn't he just, just give them back when the National Archives wanted them back? I think it's been, look, I can't talk about privileged information, but it's something that we've seen happen with many people. What happens is NARA, you know, he was president. The president is allowed, unlike a lot of people who took classified documents, to take the documents with him, to declassify them. He can do that. And then they're his. These are, if you look at the picture that's been all over the news, the box that they must have pushed over, and, and it has newspapers and pictures in it. I mean, if you look closely at it, that's, his stuff and he you know somebody comes into your home and says give me all your stuff you don't just give him all your stuff right but he was working with nara and he was working with them to give him back documents he had given back documents that that they wanted at one point and that was widely publicized and we know that um but as to the details obviously i can't get into those too much but we'll be putting our case on and we will be giving a defense and, and the people will understand what took place and, and understand the presidential records act, which is something that many people don't understand. You know, he has the ability to summarily declassify documents alone and he has the right to those documents. When he, when he does that, you have right to documents. When you leave the white house, you have right to keep things. And a lot of this stuff, as you saw, is his personal stuff. I mean, they took his passport. They took things that are not his. They were in Barron's room. It was ridiculous. So 
he did actually turn over things. This was a very long process, and the American public will learn about it and what actually took place and how ridiculous this indictment is in the short term. So do you, do we know, did he pack the boxes personally? Did he go through the boxes personally, or is it was this something that was done on his behalf? So I'll speak generally, um, obviously, to protect my client, but there, there's a general way that this happens, and it's important for people to understand. GSA packs presidents. They take the boxes. They move them. If you saw pictures when he was leaving the White House, the boxes are sitting on the front of the, you know, on the front lawn of the White House at one point on the driveway. On, you know, just sitting, that's GSA. That's not President Trump's not carrying boxes out. He's not, you know, that's just not what happens. Um, that would be ridiculous, you know, but right. it's, there's an entire system in place. And it's the same system that happens to everybody. Um, and the boxes are moved and some boxes are moved while he was president. I mean, there's a lot of things here that, that details that will go into the defense and um, will explain what took place. But by no means was Donald Trump filling up a U-Haul and trying to <laughs> scurry away documents. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a complete ridiculous theory. And it's a ridiculous indictment. You know, we don't have somebody here who's scanning documents and putting them on an unsafe server. We don't have somebody here who's, you know, selling documents on a thumb drive to foreign nationals. We don't have right. that. We don't have briberies <laughs> to CCP. We don't have yes. that. Um, but that's what they would like to make it sound like. It's it's insane. Insane. So I'll I'll tell you where uh, I am concerned on behalf of your client as someone who's been a longtime fan and supporter and 100% believe that this is, he's only being prosecuted, indicted, et cetera, because it, it is a witch hunt and it is political. I 100% believe that. But uh, the part that I'm concerned about is this journalist transcript that we've seen. Do we know why this conversation was recorded, who recorded it? And then who gave it out? Because uh, the transcript suggests that the documents were not declassified and Trump was aware of that. And that just seems very problematic. So could you help me explain that? Yeah, my I haven't heard it, first of all. Um, I'm yet to hear it. I obviously have read the portions and heard what has been publicized. I'm not the attorney on this case. Um, but... Um, my understanding, if you look at it, you have to see context. At that time, he could not declassify. He was not the president. That doesn't mean he didn't declassify prior. We need to see the entire transcript. But, um, you know, I, I'm not concerned. I know it, it's some, one of Jack Smith's special um, cherry-picking lines that he took from a recording. Obviously, we all know there were a lot of people that they brought into the grand jury to intimidate. They, there was a lot of um, deep diving for them to try and put this together and make it sound egregious. But these are parts of the story. And um, again, you know, once we get through our discovery, we will put that in our papers and, and there will be an explanation for everything. I can assure you of that. Okay, because that that's the one where once the explanation is there, please come back and share with us because that's the one where <laughs> you've where got I'm, it. You've got yeah, it. Unfortunately, uh, I can't give. I'm not going to show all of our cards, right? So yeah, so and have, that makes sense. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, we have a case. We have a case that we have sure. to put on, and right, um, they're listening to everything I'm saying, and and I'm aware of that. We're all aware of that, and it'll come out in the case. And we also need a fair opportunity to depose people and and see what their answers are to some of the things that we have questions about, um, like the raid and like why they asked us to shut cameras off and things of that nature. So we'll get to the bottom of it. The, the other thing that's interesting, and I'm, um, I'm phrasing it as a question, but maybe it's a more of a discussion point also in general, is it, uh, do we know if he, if he was being literal, do we, did he hand the journalist something? He, did he make the whole thing up? Was he just kind of, speaking off the cuff or was it was he just waving around a piece of paper because i, I don't sometimes you can't take trump literally that's a mistake and and that's yes, clearly what i don't think he was being literal i think that's a very good general way of categorizing it i think that you could take a transcript of anything and somebody could be just speaking and um, my understanding is no it's not literal at all but well well again it, we'll get the whole transcript and we'll see 
I, I don't know how much advice the president wants to take from me, but I, I, w- I would uh, kind of uh, ixnay hanging out with all these journalists going forward if he uh, if, if he beats the rap and gets yeah. reelected again. It's the I've been I've been pleading uh, for that for several years, and maybe maybe this will be the moment people understand. Um, yeah. The the yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually because journalism yeah. is actually a very powerful thing if you do it right, um, yeah. but it's also a very dangerous thing, and you have to be incredibly careful. Um, so yeah, no, I agree. Um, so we're looking at just in terms of the court of public opinion, which matters so much. It's not a, a legal thing per se, but in terms of it does matter so much because he's running for president. And uh, the the is there a comp? Is there a comparable case? And there's so many. We're actually working on a big list at Breitbart of what we think are comparable cases. And we came up with like 17 or so that are pretty similar. But is there one in your mind of something in particular where there feels like there's something similar where there was no prosecution, there was no jail time, there are no indictments. Um, is, is there one that jumps out at you that's really similar to this case yeah. in your view? Yes, the Clinton case. The Clinton case, that decision walks through um, to a great extent exactly this issue, you know, the sock drawer case, for lack of better words. Um, and that case, you know, when they made that decision, when they were being fair to somebody who had... Um, hidden things in a sock drawer, there was no prosecution there. And that was a president. Um, That was the same type of thing. It's, you know, taking documents out of the White House. And the way they held that decision will obviously be um, for us in this case. Um, There was no prosecution there. There was no jail time. There was no indictment. You know, Hillary Clinton, she bleached it to a computer completely acid washes it for those that don't understand what that is you cannot recover anything smashes phones there's no prosecution there so um history will be kind to us on this case um the the the, it's interesting word to listen to president trump spell that out in his speech the other night because he does seem almost like he thinks like an attorney and i was kind of thinking about what that must be like because he's not an attorney, but he's just always involved in lawsuits. I mean, how many lawsuits is he involved in on on like a rolling basis? It just seems like there's multiples at a time his whole life. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of comes with being the most famous person on the planet. Um, a lot of these lawsuits are lawsuits he's brought to make a stance on free speech, to make a stance yeah. on selective prosecution, to make a stance on equal justice. And President Trump, thank God, has the means, the financial wherewithal to take on those cases and make a point that, um, you know, and I'm involved myself. I think I I currently, you know, there's probably seven I have that I personally deal with. And, um, you know, he is resilient and he's using the legal system um, as unfortunately the legal system is being used against him, but he also uses the legal system when he needs to, when somebody's crossed a line, and that's what the laws and protections are there for. And if you don't use the legal system, but they use it against you, you're in a completely helpless situation. So um, I think that he is incredibly intelligent. He does understand the legal world very well. I mean, he he spends a lot of time uh, studying it and reading. He reads incredible amount of time. Um, so... I can tell you he there's not a story he doesn't know about. He's he's just an incredibly brilliant person and well educated. Um yeah, he's definitely much more well read than people give him credit for, but that's uh not I I don't think that that's I, I think this audience understands that. I think uh, others might not and that's why they underestimate him. Um the I was just looking at this case. I was kind of I was preparing for this interview and I, I just I I caught one example of um, Bill Clinton pardoning a CIA director for keeping classified documents. Uh, the guy named uh, John M. Deutsch, uh, classified information on his home computer. Uh, it feels like this is the double standard. Uh, is is there a legal is there a legal application of the clear double standard of so many examples? You just keep finding one after the next. The more we research, of where something similar or uh, much worse has taken place, and no one cared. And not not even someone who had the ability to declassify documents, which at a minimum Trump had that, and maybe even did declassify that. I, I don't know the exact. Well, we'll this will all get settled right. uh, eventually. But it's people who had no ability to declassify documents, having documents on personal computers, and never getting harassed at all, never serving any jail time, getting pardons, everyone moving on. Uh, it is. It, 
it, it feels to me like the double standard is clear to everyone who's paying attention, but is there an application in the courtroom, Alina? A selective prosecution would be the argument, really, that you're making, right? So, yeah. Um, we would have to show extreme bias and circumstances where there were similar cases, but people were treated differently because of their political affiliation or because of who they were. And that's very difficult in most cases. It's just a tough law to, to prove. But I think that in this instance, it is absolutely clear and unequivocal that, that, that there is selective prosecution here. And we've seen that. We've seen Comey get up and say that Hillary Clinton uh, did wrong by destroying, destroying evidence, but that he wasn't going to prosecute her. I mean, we, just, we saw him stand up and say that. That was Comey. But he was on the home team, right? Yeah. Donald Trump didn't. So that's selective prosecution. Um, Everybody has, has, has spoken about it, but that would be the, the claim. And and that's noteworthy also because Jack Smith's wife is just a Democrat activist, basically. <laughs> and, and Jack Smith, not just his wife, yeah. and Jack Smith. He's a Democrat sure. activist. This is a complete... Imagine if I was in charge of going after Hillary Clinton right now. Yeah. Or going after Joe Biden. That's political warfare in the courtroom. It's unacceptable and it's not allowed. And that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, and you've been really generous with your time. Um, I, I do want to ask about the E. Jean Carroll case. Now, this is one where I'm not uh, uh, nearly as knowledgeable as focused because this one just I, I've sort of written off as a big witch hunt thing. Um, but they're <laughs> they're 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 letting they're letting her, I guess, sue him again to try to get more damages. It's the what are the details here, and what, what's going on? So they retrofitted. This is a lot of people. It's very confusing because there was two cases, actually. She brought a first case, which I handle. Um, that was defamation for him answering yeah. journalists on the front lawn that he did not rape her when somebody falsely accused him of rape. Okay. And then she has a second case. That case goes to trial. We know how that went. The rape claim was denied. And <clears throat> that's important because the jury found he did not rape her. Um she then had her, her lawyers, Roberta Kaplan, who is a very well-known Democrat lawyer. Um, she went back to her first case after that jury found that. And that case should have been dismissed because I think it was 72 times or something like that. She said, he raped me, he raped me, he raped me. And she asked the court, and this court, which was the wrong decision, allowed her to change every word from rape to sexual assault. Mm. Because she, imagine retrofitting an old complaint to avoid dismissal. That's what happened there. Um, so, you know, that one is one I'm handling and, and we'll be taking that. I'm sure I'll go to trial and, and dealing with that. That was a, another case where, you know, the judge had said he wasn't an employee of the government. So he didn't have protections that any president has and the right to answer journalists. And that was revert because it was the wrong decision. And I took it up to the appellate court. I, I took it to Washington and I found that he was an employee. The president is absolutely an employee of the United States. So that's a very complicated case, but it's a defamation case. And the truth of the matter, the idea you could allow somebody to go backwards and change a complaint when you've lost on a second claim is just insanity to me. It, it was that decision was. I can't agree with that. So the the timing of all of this seems to be designed to uh, interrupt Trump's reelection prospects. I'd be shocked if you disagreed with that. But it, perhaps you can help me put a little more detail on that. Is it how much of a distraction is this going to be for him while he's running? And the timing of when all this plays out, uh, when do we think we're going to get some resolution in some of these things? Is it going to really be in the heat of primary season or even the general election season? How long could these things yeah, go course. on? Of course they're going to do that. That's the point. It's going to be exactly during election season. And you have, again, I, I call it the, the politics in the courtroom. They ha we have cases in New York for other clients that I cannot get in front of a judge for two years. I have not had a motion heard. Um, I yeah. had a case this week. Two and a half years from the date of the complaint, we have not seen a judge. In New York, 
it, and it's a judge that I've gone in front of for President Trump. But you then go in front of them with President Trump and everything is fast tracked. Every court appearance, every trial, you know, Letitia James's case, that's another case I'm on, the attorney general case. We have trial in October. They will not move that trial. Why? Because it's election season. That They don't care about efficiency in any other case. They don't care about uh, judicial resources and taxpayer dollars. But when it's Donald Trump, it's all, everything has to be done before 2024. Every single case I have, every single case, they are pushing hard to move before 2024. And I'm, I have a lot of cases. And it's unheard of what I've seen. Uh, it, it's also noteworthy because as we have the flood at our southern border, I mean, we're talking about maybe 10 years sometimes for an immigration judge. And it's just noteworthy how it just seems like this country is we prioritize what we want to prioritize. And that's not equal application of the law. And that seems to be I think that's really what is bothers people most about all this is that they just feel so disingenuous every one of these cases. Uh, and uh, I, I got to ask about Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden could shut this down, couldn't he? Or am I unfamiliar with how the law works? But at any point, he could just say, we're not doing this. Yeah. I'm losing you. We got the, the gerbils getting your phone line there for a second. The, um, oh, I'm sorry. The, yeah, so okay. um, obviously, Joe Biden can because Merrick Garland is working in the administration and ultimately Jack Smith reports to him. So right. People need to remember they didn't put an independent special counsel. They put a special counsel that works in their, you know, under their watch, ultimately. So, yes, he could put an end to it. He doesn't want to, though. Of course not, because he can't fight fair because he would lose. Um, that is that is it seems like the elephant in the room. Another one where it just never brought up is that Smith works for Garland. Garland works for Biden. They're all, it's all done on behalf of Biden. And it just seemed we just blow past this, that this is just that it is. Just one of these ones where I feel like I'm to pull my hair out just to remind people of this. So, yeah, um, with you. Uh, 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 Alina, can I plug anything for you? I know you got to get the word out. I know that's the main thing. But is there Alina Haba, the Trump attorney and um, probably a familiar face to most people in the audience? But uh, where where do you where would people go if they want to keep up with you and what you're doing? Um, Twitter, Instagram, all that. I'm, I'm on social media, obviously, and try and get the word out and all the, the shows and and make people understand a little bit about what is actually happening and not what they're pushing. So, yeah, feel free. It's my name on everything. Very simple. Alina Haba. Can can I get a quick take on you on the DOJ investigating the uh, PGA Saudi golf deal? Uh, Do you have a take on it? Because I I feel like uh, you follow that stuff. Honestly, I I think it's more of the same. I think it's more of what we were just speaking about, right? So let's just find something else and and go into it. And and Uh, they don't like the idea that Saudis are involved and, Unfortunately, this is business. And so, it's one of these things. I, I feel like it's the exact same pattern. I feel like it's a technicality. It feels like there is maybe an antitrust monopoly angle, but we know why they're interested. They're interested because, uh, because you know, the, the President Trump and who the, the audience that it serves, the, 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 the Live Golf, the sort of Saudi alternative to the woke PGA and just people just... I, I, you're just not going to get the media is just not going to tell the full story. They just don't do it. This is, which is right. my obsession, you're if right. you can't tell. If you can't tell, you're right. You're right. You're right. And and you know what? They're just they have a lot of money. Look, they've done well. Live has done well, and the merger says it all, right? There is, uh, it was, it, it's good for golf, and it, it's obviously good for Trump when they're playing on courses, and they don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and people always forget really this. And this is, I'm a huge, um, I'm a golfer, and I have a, consume a huge amount of golf media, and no one in golf media talks about how the PGA canceled all of Trump's tournaments. They canceled the yeah. annual tournament at Doral and they canceled PGA championship and it never comes up. And the PGA's audience, right. the consumers of the product, people like me, it's a middle-aged, not broke white guys. And who do we vote for, Alina? We vote for President Trump. Like that that's who we vote for. <laughs> and you cancel all of his stuff. That's your client base. And then it just never comes up in any of the reporting when there's people are like, well, maybe we should try something different. Maybe we should try to you know, You're right. CC's. and I really appreciate you bringing it up because I don't think people pay attention to it. Yeah, and it is actually their business. This is great. The yeah. presidential stuff—that's one part of his life. But Donald Trump became president because he was an incredible business tycoon with yeah. beautiful golf courses and right. beautiful buildings in Manhattan and growing the economy for the American people. And somehow, 
he nobody ever talks about that. And they're going after his business. They're going yeah. after um, people that run his business, his families. And it's beyond politics because this is a business transaction. They have no place in this, but put their nose in anything Trump. And that's the yeah. truth. Uh, Alina, I promise you next time you're back, I won't keep you for a half an hour, but it was, it was really you've, uh, a, a lot of insight and important stuff for this conversation. So um, or it's, uh, and I, I'm and grateful for it and uh, best of luck. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone here is rooting for you to succeed here. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll talk to you next time. We'll take a break. I'm American made. That's today's broadcast. Thanks very much to Zach Jones for putting it together. Bill Barnett is also our producer on the live show. And all of you who tune into the broadcast, tell people about it, share. All that helps so much. You go to Breitbart.com, of course, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm in love.